Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. In this episode, I'm with Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about the age-old question of why are my people so lazy? Or why do they not do what they know they're supposed to do? Or why do I have to babysit? There's so many forms in which this conversation takes place, and it usually looks like a chronic complaint about our people on our teams not doing the work that they're expected to do. This has been a great conversation. There's two main takeaways that we uh, bottle up basically for your consumption and usage at the end of the episode. So you're going to want to look out for those very concrete ideas of how to change this behavior. In this episode, we talk a lot about the frustration founders and CEOs, executives experience when managing people and trying to keep production at the same time. If you find yourself relating to any of these stories or examples, I encourage you to go to frustratedfounder.com. This is a mini course that Adrian has put together that is a five-day email course. So every day you get an email running you through a certain principle to help you work through the frustration at a deeper level than this conversation. So frustratedfounder.com, go take a look, grab it for yourself, absolutely free, and it's a huge resource. Now let's get into the conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name's Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. How are you, gentlemen? Great. Excellent. Yeah. One quick question. Why do you always say Dan's name first? Oh. Uh, just, I don't know. Just notice it. Oh, I was going to say alphabetical, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm dyslexic. I say it alphabetically and I'm dyslexic. From the back. Let me start over. Hello, everybody. My name is Chad. Welcome back to the conversation. I'm here with Adrian and Dan. Yeah. Hey. How's that ego feeling now? Oh, it's great. So good. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm just playing. I love it. That's great. Today, we're talking about, uh, you know, why can't we get these people to work? Yep. Uh, What's the problem? Do I need to babysit them? Do I, are they lazy? Are they all lazy? It's usually the complaint is I'm not going to babysit them. I refuse to be a babysitter. I refuse to be. I'm a business owner, damn it. But I will be a sheriff, but I'm not going to be a babysitter. (laughs) Well, that's actually where I wanted to start. I wanted to create um, some connection to this for, for people that are listening to this. What are, I mean, we work so much with leaders and specifically executives and we hear this complaint but it takes different forms um and it looks different for for different leaders so i wanted to start off just by talking and connecting to some of the language that leaders use as they think about this problem and um you know what they're experiencing how they're trying to explain what they're experiencing well what's happening is just I just start with this. What's happening is frustration, right? Something's not happening that I want to see happening most of the time, right? That's kind of the the water that this that these conversations swim in is something's stunted, something someone's not doing something I want them to do or is doing something I don't want them to do. And then the the common experience of the leader is just frustration. And so we're talking about these and how people respond to the frustration. Some of the uh, language people use. I mean, I was just making making a list here as we as we're getting started. A lot of it, a lot of them like, is that they'll finally mutter like, "What's wrong with them?" I don't know, but they'll say it like this: "I don't know what's wrong with them." Mm-hmm. Or another one I've I've heard is, 
I never needed that. So, you know, that, 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 that's where people start is kind of the, it's, uh, if it's not happening, there's a frustration and what's wrong, bad or broken about them most of the time. Like about it, them it, or me, right? Like, so I've heard him go, well, you know, it must be the way we're having the meeting. So they, we shift the, it around the meeting. It's the meeting agenda. It's the agenda. It's too short. We have too many meetings. It's too long. Yeah. It's, um, you know, this meeting's on a Tuesday. If it was on a Friday, it'd be better. If it was at five o'clock or if it was at seven in the morning because people are more up then, right? It's any kind of, so whenever there's something wrong, bad, or broken about it, them, or me, like there might be something wrong with me. Maybe I got to go back to college. Maybe I got, you know, I get a degree in business or I get an MBA or, you know, I need to take, uh, I need to see a therapist or I got to, you know, rather, so those, it's, it's literally, you think about its context, right? The, the context of the breakdown is the issue. Like, and what we tend to do is look outside ourselves. We look at the structure, we look at the process, or we look at the people. Maybe we have the wrong people in there. There's something wrong with them, right? Mm-hmm. We got to get the right people in there, right? Yeah. And, and instead of looking at how am I, how are we working together? Like, what's mm-hmm. what's going on between us that makes this the mode of operandi, right? That, yeah. That, I say things, they listen, and then don't do it. Yeah. I complain. They may even even say they'll do it, and they still don't do it. And every week we have the same damn, how about this one? You know, we've been having this conversation for a year or 10 years or five years. There's no use. Yeah. Oh, I'm working with a business owner who uh, has had experience uh, he he has a lot of turnover, um, and and when the people leave, it's on bad terms typically. And for him, it was you know why I'm not meant to lead. I'm just not a leader. I wasn't something born. Wrong to be a leader. Something wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the beginning of resignation, right? Mm-hmm. That's resignation. Yeah. Any one of those. So that, those are really what we call we call it the the. Um, human paradigm, the universal human paradigm. I think Tracy Goss or somebody like that termed it like that, but it's just kind of where we go in survival. When we've run out of opportunity, we've run, or we don't see any more possibility, then there must be something wrong, bad, or broken with them, it, or me. That's why I must fight, flight, follow, fool, or freeze. <laughs> it just triggers the amygdala. I'm off. I'm gone. Yeah. And, in, in, and engaging someone who's frustrated like that First thing is to slow them down. They've got to be disintermediated. Their, their mood has to be like, slow down. Like, like, let's just unplug for a minute and look at what's going on. Because there's a, there's a resignation uh, and there's a complaint. And if there's a complaint, it means that there's something they're probably unwilling to subject themselves to to find out what's there. Like yeah. they don't want to be dominated by what's wanted and needed because they're afraid they can't provide or it's going to take them off course or they're you know, not going to be enough or God knows what there's a million conversations that be going on in there. Yeah. Right. That was, my, that was my next question is how do we start to intervene when we're experienced, when we notice this as one of our common or chronic complaints, what's, what is the mode of intervention? What do we start to do? First thing I want to do is hear the complaint. 
I want to get the complaint really clear. Like, what is it that you don't like? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what do you moan about? What it's going over? What is that complaint? Because the complaint is the opening into the you know what they the, the it's usually a withheld request or some something they're afraid to act on like to get into because they don't think it's possible but if i can understand the complaint and and then i can i, I say well when it comes up and you complain then uh what happens for you emotionally and what do you do so they can see what the behavior is and that's that behavior is like a pattern it gives us an idea of what gives me an idea of what they're resisting right their complaint and then i ask them once I get clear about that, like what you do, like, like, you know, I don't like when Adrian talks like this to me. Okay, well, what do you do when he talks like that? Well, I just shut up. And then what do you do? Well, I, I just wait till he's done and I go do what I'm going to do anyway. Right. And then I, so the, the, then I, then I can ask him, well, what do you, what, what's, and I hate that I do that. I might tell him, I don't like that. I want to do something different. Well, let's start with you actually like what you're doing. That's why you keep doing it. Let's just talk about, I mean, one thing you know for sure, right, is something you're complaining about. If you didn't want it, you could get rid of it. And you haven't gotten rid of it because there's something you're getting from it that you rather settle for. Now, it may be I don't want to risk Adrian's disapproval because we have something working in and maybe I won't get paid or this won't happen or who knows what. So I don't want to say what's there and I don't want to own it. And and so now I say, well, what do you get out of doing that? Well, I don't get anything out of it. I'm just frustrated. Well, if you got something out of it, what would it be? Mm. Right. Like, let's just because it's so hard to see that the things I complain about serve me as much as they don't serve me, as much as I say they don't serve me. Otherwise, they'd be gone. They're right? useful. Yeah, they're useful. So what is it that you're using? I, I get to be superior. I get to be the right one. I I get to I, I, I get to blame Adrian. It didn't work out. I don't have to take, you know, I don't have to act into the unknown, you know, and, and risk not doing it well. Who knows? There's a million. I get, I get to be the mistreated one. I get to be the martyr. I get to be the one that always knew. Adrian has to take care of me now because he did this to me, right? Like that. Well, well, and you know, depending on, and thinking specifically around the business context is like, if I'm tolerating it and I'm the boss, I get to not have to replace the person. That's a whole bunch of work. You know, if I'm the employee, I get to keep my job in my own mind for longer if I don't bring up the tough thing. I mean, there's some practicality to this as well. Yeah, I don't get the immediate discomfort either. I mean, it's usually because I'd rather take the short-term gain. I'm willing to live live with it for the long-term pain on that deal. That's right. And I haven't really assessed the price I'm paying for that long-term pain. Yeah. Mm. Adrian, how do you, when you have a client that has a a complaint that falls in this family of complaints? How do you start to investigate it with them? I'll start with, well, depends on who I'm talking to. I mean, it depends on where we are in the conversation. But there's two plot points that I always want to get connected with. What do they want? Like, what do they like really want? Like, what's their truest vision? Not the one they're settling for. Not the one they think is possible based on the certain your current set of circumstances. But based on like, what do you really want? Like, I'm thinking about... the one possible with these schlubs that don't do what I tell them to do. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I'm thinking about a founder-CEO conflict in my head right now that I've been working with and and talking with with the founder about what she really wants 
What, like what's ideal? Like what, what would really be thrilling for her? Not, you know, what's the best that she think can happen with who she is now over these years and who he is now over these years. No. What do you really want? What would be thrilling for her? Because if, if, if the vision is just the most polished version of resignation, then we're not going to be that motivated to do it. Right. I mean, vision, vision generates energy naturally. Um, because there's a future I want and I can see it and I can feel it and it, it hits me deeply and I can integrate into it and I can be the vision. Like, you know, if I'm willing to have one, most people, when they've got a chronic complaint, they've decided the vision's not possible. Um, but really that shows up like confusion. Like, what do you, because when I ask that question, what do you really want? Their answer will be, I don't know. I really don't know anymore. That's what they usually say. I really don't know anymore. I mean, he, and then, you know, usually it's a conversation about the other person because that's more comfortable than exploring what they want um, as the leader in the, in the situation, as the one that could be the one that's breaking through, you know? So that's the first plot point I want to get connected to is what do they really want? Like what's worth dying for? Dramatically saying it, what's worth transforming for? What's worth risking for? What's worth disrupting the system for? You know, humiliated for whatever it takes. What's worth being wrong for, right? Like, all those types of things. You know, if I were to give myself up and all the rights and privileges I have and all the how I want everybody to think I'm great, if I, you know, what's worth giving that up for, which is a big cost, you know, I mean, ego, like surrendering your ego is a big cost in our own minds, right? That's mm-hmm. why it's so powerful. So if there's nothing that's worth dying in that, in those sense for, then they're really not going to do anything. You know, so that's that's one plot point. The other plot point, and is, they want to resist that too because sure, they're feeling like it's impossible because who what, of whatever they're complaining about. So they're going to want to disconnect from that vision. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So what do they want, and how important is it to them? Like, how essential is it? Is there, is it is it a is it a nice to have or is it a conviction? You know, like that. I want to get where the conversation really sits, like what they've decided about it for themselves. And if there is that resignation, I want to break up the resignation or just point out the resignation because they're all justified in why they must have that view because of the history that's been there or because the other party that they're dealing with or because of the thing of themselves. And, you know, whatever their judgments, you know, their judgments fortify their apathy. So, you know, so that's the first thing is you got to point that stuff out and, and see if they're willing to see how they are in the conversation, their relationship to the future based on what they've made up about how hard things are, whatever they're complaining about. You know, the other, the other part, the other plot point is how willing are they to see how they have co-generated the current state, right? So whatever's happening now is a team game. Yeah. You know, Dan always says and says it in every environment we're in, which is helpful is the system is creating the results. The system was created to produce or something to that effect. The results, the system produces the, the results it's designed to produce. That's better. So, you know, so there's a system at play. And if and everybody that's in the system is responsible for the results of the system, that's that's the that's the high leveraged conversation. Most people don't want to be in that conversation because I'm at risk. I'm at stake. My neck is out. If I say that even if I was just a passive person, quote unquote, in the system, I'm responsible for the results of the system. So seeing how willing they are to account for how they've contributed or are allowed even. You know, their passivity is a contribution, you know, and that's, you know, certain people I'm talking to, like that's passivity, like not saying something, you know, you needed to say, yeah, 
That's also a contribution. When were you quiet? When you know. How long has this been going on? When did you know you, you, you could have been pointing it out? Oh, five years ago. Well, okay. Now we've got the results of five years of withholding. So, And why are you being quiet? Yeah. yeah. See, this is where you're chunking down into the prices and rewards of the complaint, right? Because now we're going to get what you're getting out of the current situation. Yeah. And if, if that's done well, as Adrian's talking about, if it's done well where you've really rested in it, it'll create a natural tension, particularly if they've really communicated, as Adrian said, their vision, what they really want, and they're willing to connect to that. Then the urgency comes up, right? Which is unfortunately, or fortunately, or however, we, we tend to want to get out of that tension rather than live in the tension and let it help us think through what's going to be the most resourceful thing to get to that future. Yeah. Well, and usually if, if I've got a complaint involving another human being, I have, I've, if it's a chronic complaint for sure, um, I'll say this like it's gravity, doesn't have to be, but I'll say it. If I've got a chronic complaint about somebody else, I have fully objectified that person. That person's no longer a set of concerns and interests and values and wants and desires. They are a problem to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm relating to them like they're a problem. And that's not on accident either. Because if they're a human being over there with their little, with, with their interests and concerns and challenges and desires for their life, then I could actually relate to them. But I don't want to relate to them. I want to judge them and objectify them. You know, so that's part of, you know, what happens over time is that I stop being with them as a human that's also in the same fight and same struggle. Um, that's trying to get something done and contending with their own limitations and their own challenges and their own disbeliefs and their insecurities and their own, you know, blind spots and that. And I, I just start to see them as a problem, which is just easier. So then I don't have to really put myself at stake to have a real live conversation with them. I can just relate to them as a something to avoid. Mm. And it's interesting that they become the problem, right? I mean, I, my brother-in-law, I, th- I, this is, what I always think of when we're talking about something like this, my brother-in-law works for a mill company. They, they design and build these complicated machines that will put out a piece of wood that are timber structures for cabins. So as, as these pieces of wood come out of these giant machines, they will piece together and basically make a cabin with pegs and beams. And, and if one thing is off, then the entire structure doesn't work, right? And, you know, him and I talk about this. I'm pretty fascinated by it. it I think his, what he does is really interesting. He programs these machines and, you know, all of that. He's a brilliant dude. And anyway, um, it's always impressive to me that when the wood comes out wrong, the wood is not the problem. That's right. It's the machine. It's the system. It's the either the software or the hardware is not mounted properly. It is the it is the system in which is producing all of the elements that is supposed to create create peace or the or the vision, right? And uh, so it's interesting when we are we we are creating this machine as an executive or a business owner. We're we're co-creating it, and we make the outcome the problem. Yeah. One thing that this work has done for me on my good days is that whenever conflict or or I recognize that I have a chronic complaint, my first thought it well, I don't know about my first, that's a little generous. <laughs> Quickly after a couple of thoughts, 
uh, on good on a good day, my thought is, what is my contribution to the breakdown? Mm-hmm. You said something I think I think is really key. I mean, we are machines. People are machines. You know, machines meaning we're we're meaning machines. We're always creating meaning about everything yeah. we're in. And how often do we check in to see what meaning are our co-workers generating for themselves? And is that meaning conducive to what we came to de- together for? And if not, how do we reinvent that? What what what's required to you know create the best meaning, right? Who wants to work at something that isn't meaningful? Mm-hmm. And so much of my practices in the past have devalued what I'm doing so I can protect myself from discomfort. But then I'm not connected to or passionate about what it is I'm up to. Right. It's like those, it's like I want to preserve myself so that if it doesn't work out somehow, I will survive. And so I never fully give myself to it. And then I wonder why it's not as meaningful as it could be and why it gets boring or it gets frustrated or it gets, you know, I just don't want to give myself to it. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of strategies around deinvesting myself from the vulnerability of being fully in and connected. And because one person comes fully alive, it disturbs the rest. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like the, I don't know if you ever heard the story about the Mexican crabs, right? In Mexico, if you go to a marketplace, they got these big black crabs in these big baskets and they're alive and they never get out because every time one starts to climb out, another one reaches up and pulls them back in. And and we have a tendency as in a workplace, like you know, we call you know some of the things. Well, you 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 brown noser or whatever you say. We have all these little ways of making sure people get. Don't be a hot dog. Don't be Mister Raw Raw. Don't. In other words, don't expose through your good work, your good community, your participation, the level of my own participation. Like don't. I like I like this lifestyle. Don't edge it, right? And that's why that's why Adrian spoke to this. Usually, somebody you know you don't want to get rid of somebody because it's more work for you versus, hey man, that might be worth it for them to go and for me to find somebody who's really willing to get in it, like like they said they are, right? I mean, I think it's interesting. In prison, when we do it, when I do a prison training, the first conversation that has to get interrupted is I don't snitch, <laughs> right? Like, because they see standing, like if somebody comes in and they're out of integrity, they haven't done what they said, they're not willing to look and see and learn, rather than work with them, they don't want to, if something happens that doesn't work, they don't want to bring it up because they don't want to snitch on them, which means that that situation never gets corrected. So now the culture is going sideways and nobody wants to say anything because if they do, they're a snitch because the other person could get in trouble versus or be dis- uncomfortable or be embarrassed, right? Versus, hey, man, that's the conversation we need to have to get to where we want to go. So getting that in, if we can get that in, we can get a lot done. If we don't get that in, then it's just like a sieve. There's no tension, right? It's reduced all the time. And I think that's the big thing. We don't want, I mean, we, we want to go to work and feel relaxed. And sometimes you can, you, I mean, you can certainly be relaxed in the tension, but, we, you know, it's like you've got to get acclimatized to the tension of what it means to stand and deliver, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about this um, with uh, a couple of clients that we're, that we're dealing with. 
that we're really helping support this type of conversation because it's, I don't think we talk about this enough in the business context. The fact that, you know, you, you hire brilliant people that know how to solve business issues. There's not a lot enough conversation around how to solve people issues. Yeah. Right. And we're not like trained in if you went to college or whatever, you went to university, you can get your MBA. You're definitely, there's no, there's no real training around how to, how to break through with somebody else or how to like have the conversation in a way that really works. I mean, this is, these are usually extra things. People call them soft skills, but they're really, you know, the essential conversations that are needed to make this whole system work in the moment. But, you know, it's like, if we only had car manufacturers and not mechanics, we would all be screwed because it's you're going to build the thing and then it's going to break like any machine you've got that's working. You're going to build it and it's going to break. And can I repair it when it's broken? And leaders, you know, have there are some necessary, you know, skill sets needed to be able to repair relationship and repair uh, like a team dynamic if it's broken, if it's not working. Um, that, you know, anyway, my, my point is like people don't, we don't spend enough time training folks how to do that, which I think is usually why people enjoy working with us because we help see and train and, and help generate the types of conversations. You're just saying what you're hitting are the essential skills of building high performing cultures like these. Most people don't want to talk about these things. We work with people that we don't understand much of what they're doing. I mean, we understand enough, but yeah. You know, but some of the engineers we work with, we don't, we couldn't get into the nitty gritty of their engineering. No. But where we, where they break through is when they learn to work with each other and resource each other rather than fight with each other and, and undermine each other. Yeah. 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 That's something Adrian that you say, I, I'll probably not say it the way you say it, but um, I use this in my work too, is when a client, when I'm doing an enrollment call with a potential client they say, Hey, have you ever worked with, um, a engineer before or do you work with engineers or who do you work with and uh you know the answer is well i don't know engineering my job's not to know engineering i know interpersonal relationships yep yep and that's my work and the characters that operate in interpersonal relationships show up everywhere yeah yeah, yeah. i mean the 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 corporate the collaborative human endeavor is you know kind of the, the the space in which we play. Like when people have decided together to get something almost always very complex done. There are there are a certain set of conversations that always show up. And there's certain distinctions in every human being that will show up to the table when it's when a group has chosen to take on a challenge because it invites. It's they're necessary. They must come. So uh, you know, but most all I mean really profound life-altering leaders have the work domain understanding and elite mind and get the human, how to engineer a culture to support a way to get the, you know, um, intellect to the ground. And then the rest of us have to find out other resources about how to do that, (laughs) you know? And there's this, my, my point in bringing it up is like, First off, as a leader, we, you know, and I've, and I've blown it so many times in my life as a leader or as a human being or as a partner or whatever, I've just missed it. And, and, and I guess to make a joke, I mean, this is my field. I had to talk to people <laughs> and I, but I blow it. Right. So, 
But even as, a, as the leaders, I mean, we all know it. This is part of where the strain is and where the stress is. is how do I work with somebody else to get this thing done? And we ought, and first off, we ought to just cut ourselves some slack. This is not easy work to pull this off. That's why a lot of people would rather be a lone ranger than to work in the context of a team. It's easier to do it alone. You just can't go as far. You can't go as fast alone, right? And then you have a limited set of possibilities if you're going to do it alone. If you decide to do it with a group of people, um, it gets really complex and you have to deal with yourself all the time because yeah. you know, you're know you being challenged or you know all your own machinery, all your own shit is there present whenever you're dealing with somebody else. That's interesting yeah. because you say, you know, it's like, yeah, you blow it. Of course. It's like, if you're going to go, if you're going to, let's say you're going to be a uh, mountain biking, well, then you better be ready to fall off your bike. <laughs> you're going to be good at mountain biking. You're going to have to get to the place where you fall off your bike many times. Yeah. Falling off your bike is part of the process. You don't get up and go, oh, I'm going to quit now because I fell off my bike. Well, you know, I think somebody who's good at working with people, somebody who's used to failing, prepared to fail, and use that failure to move the ball down the field. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, I, I know that with myself, there's usually tons of relief for my clients when I share them personal stories about how I've blown it. Yeah. Only because a lot of them will have a view that I've got it all together all the time, which I worked hard for them to understand, by the way, that for them to think I've got it together all the time. But the, you know, when I share the stories of how I've blown it, usually in the last 24 hours, like I've missed it. Chad, when you're saying was I was okay, I was dealing with something. Um, as we're as we're chatting, cleaning up something that was on my mind that I blew it right, be- you know, before these conversations started, um, because I'd blown it. I'd been a reaction to a, to a thing happening, and and um, I knew my impact was really shitty. So I wanted to clean that up real quick, you know. So we all are in the kind of if you're willing, if you if you want to get something great done, I guess here's the point. Maybe connecting it back to the first conversation. If you want to get something great done, you are inviting all sorts of failure or missteps or whatever you want to call it. Maybe failure might be like a heavy term or whatever, like feel like an extreme version of the term, but like people not operating at their best. That is always, it's happening right on every meeting you're in. Somebody's not fully showing up. Yeah. Yes. Good. So, I mean, the, um, so the conversation here is, how do you, how, are you willing to engage with people in that, that journey, in that striving, right? But usually why we don't is we don't have any kind of agreement with them about what full participation looks like, right? So we don't kind of have the grounds to have the conversation. So it ends up being like a person, it feels like, and sometimes is like a personality thing. Like, you know, and you, you, have, you don't know. Yeah, you haven't set the set the stage for the types these types of high performance conversations because you haven't talked about what it means to play ball on the team. But if you have those conversations on the front end, then if you see if you're seeing something, perceiving something, making something up about what's happening, then you just go and check in about something, and the, the conversation doesn't have to be hard or heavy or catastrophic. It's just, hey, seems like you're having a hard time, man. Yeah. <laughs> what's up? Just- what's up? Yeah, and they'll come if you just listen. Right? Yeah, yeah. You got a lot on your mind. You know, it's like it's it's like the way that, but it's the because you haven't set up the game beforehand. People don't know how to play, and then you can't like intervene and call time out and check in on the players. Yeah. 
Instead, I'd rather judge and distance myself and start to build a case about either why we're going to eventually fire them or why that's just who they are and settle for something less than what our highest hopes are. Or even even letting the highest hopes be known, just that. Right. Somebody like what I'm committed to, even though we're not there yet, is. Yeah. It could be very helpful. Yeah, this harkens back to Adrian, what you were talking about earlier of objectifying them. If if they are objective, or if, if you're objectifying them as the problem right. that has to be fixed, you're not going to be interested in what's up for them. Right. Yep. And coming to so to kind of round this out, then we can give some final comments here. But um, I'm just thinking, you know, we've outlined two kind of major things in this conversation that could be actionable, that could be like takeaway. The first one is own your contribution to the breakdown. What can you own? And then the second one is seeing people as complex parts of your complex system and be interested in them as a person, as as just that, a complex part to your co-creation. And I love both of those. I think they're both something that we can work on and practice on a daily basis because like you said, Dan, we're meaning making machines and we make meaning out of everything. And uh, so there's plenty, there's no lack of opportunity to practice these things. Well, no, and it brings up a very interesting point because again, uh, and this goes counterculture, but it's neuroscience. And that is the meaning of any communication is in the listener, right? It, it, so th- that doesn't mean I blame the listener for what they hear. If I'm trying to get something across to them, that I taking responsibility to communicate with them, I can own that I missed because I can listen to what meaning they're putting onto it, and then I can correct and keep. I can keep stay in the conversation and see what see how I can provide what's wanted and needed till they hear what I say, mm-hmm. right? But the other thing, it goes the other way, too, that if I get upset about something, I can remember that I'm the one who put the meaning on what they said and that I'm upset for what I decided it meant. But, you know, I usually get angry because I don't want to have the conversation or somehow I want to control the or dominate the conversation. So I use my emotional state to justify shutting them down or pushing them back or like that. It's like I'm always interested in my emotions because like I noticed that. Like I can be angry at something in one moment and be okay with it in the next. I, I think about that example of you know your kid comes home, you're, you're upset with him. He didn't do his homework. He got kicked out of class. You're you're on his case. You're really upset. Maybe even yelling at him. Phone rings. It's the it's the principal. Oh hi, Mrs. Jones. How's everything going? All of a sudden, I'm fine. I'm talking to them. Hang up the phone. Bang! I'm elevated again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what? Well, that's interesting to me because I've done that so many times, and I'm not even aware of it. I'm just using my emotional state to uh, manipulate or to try to dominate, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, somebody told me, you know, or said to me, I don't know, ten or twelve years ago, this very simple phrase, which was, "Why are you so committed to the struggle?" That's a good one. Why are you so committed to the struggle? And I think that's. I mean, that, that fits around this conversation as well about how hard it is to deal with, you know, certain people or certain dynamics. 
because you get to make up whatever dynamics you want to make up and complain about it, right? And be a victim to it. This person been, hasn't been here long enough. That's a complaint. This person's been here too long. That's a complaint. This person is, this person's too young. This person's too old. This person's from another company. This person, you know, fill in the blank. You, you pick any of those and then hide behind them. Yeah. And, you know, or you could stop being so committed to the struggle and say, none of that, none of that matters. And I wonder what conversation is needed. Uh, and there's not even an answer to that necessarily, except for just to go be in the conversation. Like, hey, here's what's going on for me. What's going on for you? Here's what's happening that I don't like. Here's what's happening that I think if it continues to happen, we've got trouble. What do you, you know, tell me what, how you see this thing. Yeah. And that's like as simple as it needs to be, that will start the conversation. A lot will be generated from it, but we won't get there if we're committed to how hard it is to be a leader these days. Mm-hmm. And it brings up the the discipline of knowing how to start up in a problem. Yeah. Like yeah. that good startup. Because that's nine-tenths of a breakdown is that how you start up in the problem is inviting the person in or it's putting them on defense. And yeah. knowing how to start up, and then you have to keep experimenting with ramping into the problem until you get there, right? So yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot here for people to take home if they're experiencing this complaint. And uh, this is definitely a conversation that can go on. So thanks so much for showing up, gentlemen. This has been great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. I mean, it's one of those perfect scenarios, I think. I mean, when we when we put online this like walk step by step process of how to engage when you've got any kind of chronic issue going on. So you can go to frustratedfounder.com and they can find this stuff. If you've got d- deeper questions about this stuff, we just started scratching the surface here. We'll walk you through step-by-step how to do that. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that, that's a, the online version is like a, a free resource for you. So if you want to know more about this, you know we know this is needed. We know it's needed for us as individuals. We know it's needed in our teams all the time. So the more um, fluid we can be with how to intervene with people, the better for everybody. Yeah. Great point. Thanks for bringing that up and pointing to that resource. No problem. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Talk soon. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.